Today's guest on the podcast is Michael Sager. Six months and some 140 episodes since his last appearance, he gives us an update on fair, bar and canteen. This is Vintage Sega, of course, unfined, unfiltered. Enjoy. Clarkenwell, if you look around, is mostly... A beautiful, uh, it's an aspiring, I want to live there, right? It's a nice neighborhood, but none of my punters go out in Clerkenwell. Both the places right now are in, you know, in East London. So i got to understand Clerkenwell. Turns out it's a, an area that people really want to, they, they like. And I had no idea. I had no idea what kind of businesses are there. But they work there, right? They don't yeah. live there. No, they also live there. Okay. So the Barbican, as the single most iconic dwelling <laughs> literally what it is a dwelling in London as a former council estate has become a brutalist you know staple of it's amazing people architects want to live there designers want to live there and they buy those flats for one half mil upward for a two bed or three bed and you're going that's a lot of cash so and there's 2,000 flats there that's potentially let's assume they don't live by themselves by themselves potentially four or five thousand people mm. with forget the pockets because we're not going to be expensive so fuck their pockets but yeah. their brains are interesting I like them because what they're doing is creating shit mm. and then there's all these architecture firms design firms around the area mm-hmm. there's next model agency there's agent provocateur head office okay Okay. And you're going, okay, there's a bit of fashion, but not too much. Yeah, yeah. But, but you, you knew all of this before you chose the site? I heard about it, I had no idea. Yeah. It was yeah. sold to us as part of the tech belt. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the tech belt meaning King's Cross all the way down via Angel, via Shoreditch, into the city. Yeah. But it's only called the tech belt because of Google and Facebook and YouTube being in King's Cross. Other than that, it shouldn't really be the tech belt. That's interesting. Those companies are not in Clarkenwell. Clarkenwell is very London. It really is. Which is why we chose the place. Today's argument with the PR company was to make it... The way we built the place is to be as... seamlessly integrating with what's there and undesigny as possible. Now, there's iconic restaurants in the area, St. John being one of them, Morrow being another one. Both of them have changed the London landscape. It's funny, actually, that they're both there and now in Soho. Morrow has changed and has dealt with artists, actually, funny enough. They had a crowd back then that was shortage artists and, and the same with the St. John guys. They weren't just hospo. That would be wrong to assume. They weren't just hospo. Their circle was part of a bigger movement 20 years ago. And the reason they're both still around, Morrow has only opened three sites since. They're still the same chef owners, salt full cookbooks and very, very solid business. And St. John, also very solid business. They're still around. They opened as an inspiration to us in that area. I will call it Clarkenwell, for sure St. John. I mean, you can call that Smithsfield Market, but not really. 
was in Chant Street. Mm-hmm. And you can argue that um, whatever the market is that Morrow is on, which I forget where, it's on the way to Angel, close to Angel, okay. that that's not Clerkenwell, but it's on Farrington Road or somewhere, which is close, off Farrington Road, which is close to Clerkenwell. I myself have worked there, my first job in London, back in 2006, for a place called uh, Matchbar. Okay. Matchbar at the time was in the 50 best list where I don't know if that list existed it was another list time out award winning or whatever and uh, Marcus has worked there for the set of townhouse and our now channel manager Chen she's run Foxlow which is one of the Hawksmoor outlets in Clerkenwell Vinoteca for me was inspiring to open second well because Vinoteca I wanted to always go to and Hawksmoor I always wanted to go to both of them have combined drinking with eating as opposed to the other way for me Vinoteca for sure because he would go and get amazing wine off the shelf pre any hipsterism they're just the first people to do it and definitely you know has changed or influenced bye darling has changed or influenced the way we would want to open a business there because there's there's not East London East London is a blank canvas with nothing with spray buildings with building sites as you can hear around us and an absolute mess and people love it but it's a bit more Berlin-esque than Williamsburg if that makes sense I guess no this is absolutely it's a mess over here it's a zoo the council doesn't do yeah the, the, the council doesn't do anything to make sure if a lamppost is bent that it comes back to being straight they don't do nothing bin bags on the street you know it's the way it is over here and we pay similar council tax but it's just the way it is and then if you move into Islington or you move into other hamlets in London you're going okay we're in a different ball game here because somehow maybe we pay bus- higher business rates right maybe that's the reason okay. but all of a sudden you're in Islington or you're in, uh, in Clerkenwell and you realise okay we got to step up our fucking game got to find cash to step up our game we didn't know that when we signed the lease the lease was just a beautiful less rent per square footage than second wild space so of course we're going to take it even if it's whatever grand a year we can make it work I hope I'm going to lean over I don't want to move the mic <laughs> so then like before we turned the mic on you were talking about emotions then yeah so then I guess it feels to me then the best way to talk about and you know bringing, the, bringing this up to date is to talk about your emotions then like oh yeah through, through that whatever it is five six month period of oh it's crazy announcing it and then you know to where we are today yeah I'll give you an interesting thing on this so when announcing this um, <laughs> we were worried about raising cash at the same time because I don't have it so no one can really afford to spend you know 700 grand which is not even that much or 600 grand on a restaurant that could make the in profit in two years that money it will make that money I hope otherwise I wouldn't try to do it and I didn't realise back then that I can potentially try and find that money without money people now I don't consider banks money people or asset finance money people they're not they're just facilitating the lending and then the money goes back it's lending you don't give away equity right yeah. 
But back then, when we last spoke, and when we signed the lease, I just was assuming that we're going to have to find a partner financially, or many, many partners via crowdfunding. Now, that works finally for your startup, but unfortunately, we're not a startup startup because we have an existing business. So other people might go, why are they exactly crowdfunding? They should have earned the money by now, which we didn't. Fair enough. And we didn't. And I made some mistakes on the way, haven't saved any cash, haven't bought a house, haven't bought a car, haven't had any kids. Cool. Probably spent a lot of money on learning. Self-education. Investing. <laughs> but what I didn't understand back then when we signed that lease is that, emotionally speaking, I can actually open an independent business in Clerkenwell. So when we announced it back then, we were saying we're going to do a pizza place because why? Pizza will sell and we can yeah. scale it into five sites and do a alcoholic version of, uh, what's it called? Of um, Franco Manca. Right, that was going to be the spin. That was going to be easily flippable to venture capital or crowdfunding alike. We went through the process of crowdfunding until a week before announcing and sent the pitch out, which they recommend, to our closest friends, which are all industry. And they all come back and say, hang on a minute, your projections state that you can make this money back what you're looking for in two years. Why the fuck are you giving away equity? At which point we're going back to the drawing board saying, well, really what we want to do is change the way Londoners view healthy food, right? That was really why we wanted this new site. So we lose the pizza idea. I'm going to have to get rid of that, which is, by the way, the only reason we're hiring a PR is we have to get rid of content. I've done this many times with Sagan Wild. Mm. Sagan Wild was called Mission before, mm. and the menu was a, a neo-Scandi meets Japanese ferment trendy tasting menu. And now we are affordable pasta for 10 quid with a, you know, hey, yeah. bowl of pasta, glass of house wine, or Negroni, 10 pounds, done. So it's not really what we were doing in the beginning. And then in the very beginning, we were doing lamb shoulders and that's it. You know, lamb shoulders to share for 18 quid. And it's funny. And now with pasta, you got to go with what's there. And so Clarkenwell is interesting because what we think is there is a demographic at the forefront of creative thinking in London. Now, are they Silicon Valley? No. Do they want to be? No. And that's what I love about it. They are not just there to cash in on it. They love the lifestyle. They're working for exciting companies. They are changing what we do in London. I love it. There's some creative agencies. and They're really, really interesting people that I want to be metaphorically in bed with. And I like that. Because right now, I want to learn from someone. And I didn't understand that when we signed that lease. The lease just looked like an attractive site. And it looked like we can potentially build a business to scale and which we're not doing now because I'm not into it I don't like having someone looking over your shoulder and telling you what to do so we changed emotionally in the last five months I guess what's changed is confidence you know money people are really good at making you feel like you're smaller whereas ultimately they actually need you to add value to their life literally literally and figuratively they do because they kind of want to have your life and whilst we all have no money at least you know I can buy the drop of a hat choose to drive to Paris and enjoy life for a couple of days 
and then come back and enjoy work for a couple of days. But they don't have these choices. Most of the people we spoke with was over... It was not face-to-face, which is interesting. They were wearing headsets, and it was very uh, fancy uh, dial-in platforms online. And, like, oh, we have a meeting, online conference call. And I wasn't into it. It's like, if your life is really living your best self, why are you sitting on a desk in New York doing this call with me? Why don't you have someone do it for you? Or why don't you... So that's what I was thinking. So I was starting to not trust the whole thing. Whereas old school lending, which is what my friends in the industry have recommended, old school lending, banks, or new model things like funding circle, which is more expensive, or asset finance, which I love. Because my kitchen is falling apart, literally, and we're fixing it as we speak. There was a leak yesterday. Why was the leak? Because we didn't spend enough in the beginning, because we didn't have the money, and the kitchen is already a write-off I'm still not understanding what that means. But if I sold the restaurant now, the kitchen has no value. So why the fuck did I buy it in the first place? Why did I buy it? Why didn't I just pay back at 5% interest for someone else to buy it? And, yeah. So the new place, the kitchen is not owned by me. The extraction is not owned by me. The coffee machine is not owned by me. It will be, at the end, written off by me, right? I will still end up not owning it. Because the... I'll, if I own worthless gear, was, I'm, not owning, I'm not owning it, am I? It's not like a house. So equipment just after three years is a write-off, that's it. Which I didn't understand what that means in tax terms, but I do now. If I sold the business, it has no value. So it's not like a house. And what I'm realizing is... Just don't sell the business then. <laughs> no, I don't want to. <laughs> the business is worthless. You can build an idea and sell the idea, but no... That's another reason we chose not to bring in partners. Because all they want to do is force you to scale to a, an idea that's big enough they can sell. At which point, you make a million, maybe, if you're lucky. But what the fuck do you do with the million? You then put it into property and become another one of the boring people that I don't want to be. I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, you have a million. And a million is also not really enough. I always wonder, like, okay, great, you made a million. How is that enough? Because if you hear what a kid costs over the lifespan in this country... Yeah, exactly. But I would like to have two or three kids, so, you know, I think selling my business is never going to happen. I mean, we're doing other businesses which are potentially going to sell, but restaurants are not one of them. Okay, so so I think, think, uh, yeah, maybe... You know, we've been talking about fair. So, yeah, I mean, what is then the... Business? I haven't even said what fucking fair is. I mean, I should. Because <laughs> I, I, I still In remember the sourdough fair. pizza yeah. phase. So, yeah, what I hasn't mean, changed is my fascination with baking yeah. and my obsession with bread being a staple of what we break together and what we do together. So it will be bread-based. And every carb Nazi is going to have to get that message at some point it's on Netflix for free you can watch it all for free Michael Pollan has done some great content and you can start understanding that bread is not the devil you might understand that meat in fact is the devil that the methane output from meat is horrific that cars are not really the major problem but livestock is that dairy ultimately is the biggest actual driver behind potentially heart disease, cancer and diabetes. And when you start reading it, which I did, I read potentially every book I could at the time. 
about this, to inform myself. Lots of them have been withdrawn the funding off because, you know, the FDA in the US is sponsored mostly by the meat and dairy industry, so they're not going to support any MIT or Virginia Tech fucking evidence. So they're going to withdraw the funding because it's against their lobbyists, right? So not going to do it. But you can get those books for free online. They're not sold, but they're online. It's really interesting. So you read amazing research and you're going, okay, this is my diet. I actually pursued it. What I never said in the last time when we spoke is that I was once 110 kilos and I went down all the way to 68 by simply eating vegan, but not militantly. I would eat honey. I would have my butter when it needs to be. I was just cutting out major food groups that weren't really around pre-agricultural revolution. So... I found that interesting and having had my own journey and now I'm at 80 kilos again and I feel healthy and I'm eating what I call a balanced diet yeah. I think I want to share that with people okay. Tom Kerridge style so the guy I'll be working with at the hotel Tom Kerridge famous chef he got famous even more because he lost a fuck ton of weight yeah. and is now telling other lads how to eat I love it yeah. now I'm never going to have that reach but I just want to go be able to go into my own restaurant and enjoy the food and think it's good for me now here we're doing Italian food at Sagan Wild and I love it because I have identity to it. I feel I can I feel Italian. I love Italian wine. I understand it. I love it. I speak the language at least. Now the new place. How can you tell people that bread and not eating meat is an amazing way to eat, right? So you gotta make the bread interesting. You gotta have toppings on it, so flatbreads of all sorts of different iterations, which Tom our chef is really nailing so he's got seven different doughs some of them are nut based some of them are different seed based amazing and some of it grain and we're cutting so imagine a traditional restaurant menu being 80% meat which it really is and 20% potentially plant based but still not vegan there's still a fuck ton of dairy the burrata might be a vegetarian dish right and you're eating still a cow that dies after three years Shame. Cows are meant to live 12, 14, 15 years. They shouldn't die after three. So when, when you realize that, I'm like, how the fuck are you going to invert that menu? That's our mission. Our mission is to 80% plant-based and 20% meat without turning away the meat guys, making them their ego feel good. So there's going to be a large lamb shoulder to share because they got to come. We need their money and we love that food too. All we're suggesting is that a modern update on paleo with no agenda might be it meaning eat like you would have pre-agriculturally speaking but factoring that grains can be great if they're fermented the right way and then you have a healthy diet that's all we're trying to do and eat meat once or twice a week right that's going to be our menu but the only platform that helps you do that is say we're not going to do modern English or modern British because well that's no one here is doing that so we look at cuisines that have done this. Or, how do you say it better, that have not, in the first place, changed their diets. Meaning, anyone in the Middle East, in the cradle of A, civilization, and B, probably diets. So we're looking at Turkey, we're looking at Lebanon, we're looking at Israel, specifically. And we're looking at what they're doing with food. Happens to be trendy right now. But I believe it's the right way to eat. You know, they're healthy-ish. 
they live long lives healthy it's good mm. so we believe that kind of food punchy flavors that again amazing yeah. then it's not bland food not too, spi- not too spicy though. exactly yeah. so it's not alienating as such yeah, what's yeah. alienating is the terminology potentially uh-huh. so we have to educate people on you know maybe some of these terms but other than that it's bread doesn't seem to be well, flatbread is just what we use as the nominal, as the, the vessel, right? Yeah. But it will be lots of skewers. Mm-hmm. It'll be some kofta, it'll be a lamakun. it essentially be neo-Turkish meets fucking Lebanese with the obvious, no, but no hummus. There's nothing obvious on there, you know? No, there's no hummus. There's no, nothing obvious. It's not a comptoir Libanais. It's not Ottolenghi, for sure. It's an update on what those are. And that's what we're trying to open with a groundbreakingly good natural wine list yeah. with cocktails on tap and with a coffee program to inspire others I would hope coffee is serious I love coffee so we're going to do it right we're going to do the coffee right we've partnered up with assembly and we're getting coffee gear which means you got to have good equipment it's like chefs you can't have a shitty oven and expect a good chef to work for you so we're getting amazing machines via asset finance <laughs> they're never going to be ours <laughs> they were never meant to be ours getting amazing machines to hopefully get amazing baristas to pour really good coffee for you at a better price and assembly are sourcing the coffee a lot of it is sustainability which we won't talk about in the press release but here we can because sustainability is something that people hold you against so a bit dangerous but as I have a share in an import business called Uncharted we will buy sustainably money is then sustainably wine direct from the producer okay there's one step in between which is a company name so from Uncharted Limited to you know to um, Fair Bar and Canteen Limited but other than that we're the same people and there's going to have to be a margin in between but that's sustainable buying same with the spirits business the reason we have Destilado is because we're going to buy the spirits from ourselves and make sure the quality that we understand the people who produce it that's the point so not all the wine at the fair is going to be from Uncharted but the stuff on tap will be okay. and not the spirits will just the mezcal will be ours just the rum will be ours just the amazing Colombian spirits will be ours but that's it so the idea being you buy as much as possible from a source that you know is sustainable and they can understand yeah you're, you're controlling it correct you're... where no one fucks with it so that's fair in a nutshell I guess space being um, one of the most beautiful spaces I've ever seen in an empty but I don't believe you can walk into an empty space and uh, it, if it doesn't feel good it's never going to be a restaurant if an empty space feels amazing in itself you know the restaurant should feel good if you don't fuck it up so we, all we're trying to do is not fuck it up as opposed to build a designy space so that should open in the end of October six months late but that's what happens if you don't give shares away to finance people so we've been trying to raise the money halfway successfully via the banks and we're going to repay it to the banks hopefully traditionally so that's the plan there and then simultaneously we sorry, have sorry, yeah to, we got to chuck in, in. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> then he dropped the mic this is easier for me just to hold it uh, give him what you said before we turn the mic on and give him what you hinted at there just now 
I've got, I can't let you go on without talking about the wine list because yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I think yeah I forget this is called interpreting wine this is it yeah, yeah exactly I don't want to I don't want to lose listeners now so yeah you've got to say something about the wine list so I, I, pre- I appreciate right some of it will be close to the chest you've already mentioned Uncharted but yeah take us yeah. inside the wine list as it stands now with of course you know freedom to, to change and update it as, yeah. as you change and update your ideas so I have a, a, a source of inspiration and a close friend and a mentor. Yeah, I think you interviewed. Have you interviewed Rush? Who, who's saying? Rush Apar. Have you interviewed I him? Interviewed yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. amazing. So, um, you. yeah, yeah <laughs> he's done an amazing uh, list that not many people know about because, yeah, well, obviously he's an author of some books and he's in some films and he makes wine. So yeah. the fact that he has an Indian restaurant in Santa Barbara might have actually some people might have missed that so by the way you should go there What's it I've not been myself it's called BBG okay, there we go. BBJ BBG <laughs> and um, it's in Santa Barbara and it's Indian food with groundbreaking nature wines meaning there's no bullshit there's you know they all know sulfur which good but they're mostly biodynamic and they're mostly fucking affordable and they're just the right kind of natural wine and he's done it short and concise. Mm-hmm. I think less than 200 bins, maybe 150. At which point, I was like, okay, he can do that with Indian food in Santa Barbara, a non-progressive market. What can we do in London? Because his idea was sometimes we should open a spot together in London and do this the Indian thing here. And, but it's all a bit risky and neither of us really have the money to do it. But anyway, so... With this being a neo neo uh, Middle Eastern Turkish meats, crazy flavors, they might as well. I mean, Ottolenghi have got an amazing wine program with the girl that's. By the way, someone you should interview. I think Heidi, she's great. Okay. But if you look at that and the options that are open with doing Chimkana or having an amazing wine program, with you know it being Indian food, there's no one actually exploring the diversity of let's call it ethnical food for now which are shit nomina but no one is exploring the diversity of London food and then matching that with exciting wine programs apart from very fucking few people you know so wine has still been and I'm not saying we can change the actual demographic of who comes it's still going to be young by Caucasian with money we've tried you know, it's still going to be, unfortunately, because of the area we're in, in Clerkenwell, and the people that can afford to live there. And also, maybe because some cultures, where we're borrowing the food from, actually don't drink alcohol. It's really interesting. So how do we match that food with amazing, which is what Raj has done, Indian? Yeah. How do you match that with wine? Not even match, but how do you continue eating and feel that you're not out of pocket whilst getting drunk deliciously maybe or forget reality for two hours or something forget forget it going together just how do you have a tasty so that's the question and far further than oh I'm going to match a off dry Mosul Riesling with Thai curry yawn I don't give a fuck might be delicious but it's not what's interesting it might be the right yeah because, I mean, that's Sulphur City, yeah. industrial yeah. winemaking city, meets 
again potentially not produce-led cooking you know because we're not in Thailand so where am I getting the ingredients that are going to be the right coffee lime leaf where am I getting the right Thai basil where am I getting all of that so I mean there's actually a couple of good places really good places in London that are doing amazing Thai cooking but they've got better I think they've got better cocktail programs than they do wine programs still amazing wine programs as well but how can you have an extensive wine list with ethnical cooking it's going to be for me the challenge and we have six weeks left to do it and I'm not doing it myself I got Lorenzo helping me I got Raj helping me Lorenzo is our wine buyer who's amazing he's 24 years old young Italian kid who worked, used to work at Polpo and Polpo have grown ever so slightly too fast into a small chain and then now it's interesting he brings operational experience that we can learn from as well anyway that guy has written a wine list for us the Paradise Row without my supervision that I go now into and I'm like wow there's nature wine on it that I love there's some classics on it that I love that he's killing it I love it and so now I've said to him for fair we gotta have a vast array of countries instead of just focusing on oh let's do Middle Eastern wine vast array of countries of natural wine that is made sustainably without aggressive chemical use in the vineyard but if they have a little bit of sulfur cool they should be unfined and unfiltered and that's that's the brief and those wines should in my very ambition should show the rest of okay it's a choice you make right you can choose to drink wine for lifestyle that's cool and I think that's what's happened and it's really really great and some of the listeners might be lifestyle drinkers because it takes a fuck ton of time and money to understand classic wine. Can I, can I just throw something in? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you said unfined, unfiltered. Yeah. That sounds like your line in the sand. That sounds yeah. like, why, why is that the line in the sand? And why, emotionally, why else? Well, because I feel that's my life in general. That could literally be my fucking mantra or tagline. Not that I would have one, but maybe I'm building my own website. Maybe that's what you should say. It's yours already, I think. (laughs) But it's a good one. Unfind, unfiltered is how I can identify. Okay. Yeah. And then you can call it non-interventionist winemaking, but every decision you make is an intervention. And you can call it natural wine, but I don't give a fuck. So even some of the classics that might have been... Find or filtered, they're not coming on them. No. Is that that's your I think so. I mean, okay, A they should taste deliciously and have yeah. energy. Energy is a funny word, right? I still don't yeah. know. I'm using the word because other people have used it before me and I like it. So the word is already there. And I'm using it for the right intention, energy. I like wine to have energy. And I think it's a word that French people have used a lot in wine. And it probably Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. I don't know if it means the same for them as for us, but I like it. So the wine needs to have energy. It needs to be glue-glue, meaning you, you want to go back to it continuously. Because, you know, a lot of fancy wine doesn't have that. A lot of fancy wine, you smell and you're like, oh, you smell delicious. You smell like cheese or you smell like whatever. Granny's knickers. But really, <laughs> what are you giving me in terms of mouthfeel and joy? So a lot... Okay, defin- other definition... Joy, that's, yeah. I think that's, a, that's an important word. Does it add joy, joy or yeah. does it annoy? Now, some wine can annoy. That's exactly it. It's the Sarah Knight point of view. Oh, shit. Microphone. <laughs> Sorry, just... Okay. Microphone just dropped. 
Mic drop. Microphone situation. No, the woman's name is Sarah Knight. She's written a book two years ago called um, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. Great book. Now, it's her first book, and she based it on a, another book that has to do with tidying up, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by a Japanese writer. Also a great book. And that book is great because you can uh, choose to give so many fucks in your life per day actually you have a quota per day and you can give a fuck or not give that fuck and they actually tie in and the decision making diagram behind it is online you don't even need to read the book you can look at that one graphic and go okay this is my life summed up that or ikigai which is a great Japanese concept but you can literally sum up your life and go okay not saying it ultimately is what you should base your life on but it's a nice way to self um, diagnose your issues <laughs> so if you do that fucks yeah as a, as a, as yeah we've only got so many fucks you can give and with natural wine it sort of has to be so the question she asks is if you have something in your life might be family might be a boyfriend might be whatever a house if you own one does it add joy or does it annoy you now if it annoys it goes to the next decision like do I choose to give that fuck because am I being an asshole by not giving that fuck if you're not being an asshole or if you're not your own guilt is always an issue but if you can get rid of guilt which is not a healthy feeling and if you can literally because there's three categories of people that don't give a fuck according to her book there's kids there's assholes and then there's the enlightened now I'm never going to be enlightened but I would like to aspire to be it's a new Buddhist neo and it's really funny because you can read that book and look at your life and stop making decisions that are for other people but mostly for your own happiness that can be you know there's that documentary on Netflix minimalism or whatever it's called it's great because it's some people are embracing minimalism only having like three pair of jeans two pairs of shoes and it does sometimes help to not be a consumer and this book is about how to get rid of stuff or how not to be a consumer of other people's emotions or other people's bullshit and it's really interesting so you can apply that to wine and the way Raj calls it sorry to bring him up again and my friend Johan in Sweden who has a restaurant called Babette and then some other places someone I look up to he said the same they came to my wine bar a few months ago and they said oh there's too many fillers on your list I'm like okay you're an asshole <laughs> <laughs> you chose not to give that fuck and so I looked at the list and I said okay you tell me what the fillers are because Lorenzo and Mark and my guys are doing the list but at the same time without much um, how do you say it? not guidance but without much I'm not saying no if they want to buy a wine because they like it they can buy it because that's the freedom I believe in freedom we talked about that last yeah. time yeah, yeah. so I had to rein them in and having a bit of feedback from one of the most influential thinkers in wine of our time mixed with my own feedback <laughs> made them pipe down quickly and it's like okay we have a holding stock problem get rid of the holding stock we have too much we don't need 50 grand of wine and we don't need 25 grand of ship wine so send it back to the supplier and buy some other wine instead so no fillers or hashtag no fillers like we call it you know, most wine lists consist mostly of fillers. A really shit wine list is only fillers. A mediocre wine list is majority fillers. An okay wine list is a little bit of fillers. And a fucking banging wine list is no fillers. Meaning, every single wine has purpose. 
And if the wine doesn't have purpose, it doesn't belong on there. You only need so many Alsatian wines, and you only need so many Alsatian wines with a fuck ton of sulfur or intervention. So why do you have them? Get rid of them. No matter whether the winemaker has got a trendy label of a woman touching herself or you're not. Stuff that we talked about before we switched to Micron. But it's important for people to know. Yeah. Graphics on a label are not a reason to buy a wine. I'm going to repeat that. A nice label is not a reason you, as an informed wine buyer, meaning you listen to this because you are informed now, don't buy a wine because the label looks nice. Inform yourself. Maybe the winemaker is an asshole and a bit misogynistic. Maybe he shouldn't put a label on there. It's never a naked guy on it. Have you ever thought about that? So fuck these people. Some of them include really high-profile winemakers from the Shura. But, you know, I like those wines. I like the taste, so we support it. But don't be an asshole. Meaning don't make women feel even worse than they're being treated every day by putting a label on there that's misogynistic. Just don't do that. So I'm not promoting those wines. That's another rule. Okay. Am I actively... Yeah, line in the sand right mm. there. Am I actively trying to list more wines made by female winemakers? Yes. Will it say that on the menu? No. The person who does this best in the world is called Vinnie Eng. He has a restaurant in San Francisco called Tartine Manufactory. Mm. It doesn't say it fucking anywhere on his list, but he supports women. And, you know, you don't want to be supported just because you're a woman. Yeah. Right? That's the other thing about feminism. But it would really, really help for people to not support assholes anymore. And there's plenty of forward-thinking women in wine to support. And they're actually and changing. thinking guys, I'm guessing, as well. Of course. Right? Just, no, of course. Just That's why, yeah. Exclude the assholes. And exclude the assholes and don't be a misogynist in your label buying. It's that simple. Or if a winemaker happens to be a misogynistic prick, don't buy their wine. We're all well-informed enough. Instagram is enough to know. Don't buy their wine. That simple. You wouldn't buy if they were a racist because it's not okay, right? So if they are, let's say, an ageist, if they are a uh, sexist, if they they are anything that's an ist... Yeah, exactly. Have no dogma, I think. Have no dogma apart from don't buy from assholes. That should be a one rule. Fuck the vintage. I mean, okay, 2015 Beaujolais might be an... Vintage buying should also not be how you buy. Just buy from amazing people. <laughs> no, so listen, about the wine list, it needs to be concise, meaningful, relevant, affordable, smashable, non-dogmatic. It can have a little bit of sulfur if it needs to be at bottling, because sometimes the wine actually does go on a ship during summer if the importer is not careful enough. So respect the importer's limitations and don't be an asshole. So the wine is in transit for a month or two. Buy wine respectful of that. And also respect the fact that your customer maybe likes wine that's not actually mousy. So no mouse is a given. Volatile, love, I don't care. Bread, I love. But yeah, no mouse, please. Don't make it feel in my mouth like it's dead. Because it's not okay. Now if you're spending 40 quid. Now if you're spending 20 quid. Now if you're spending 15 quid. Now if you're spending 2 quid. Fucked up wine is like rotten fruit. You should not drink it. Done. It's not okay. And again, just because there's a woman that's naked on the label, doesn't mean it's good. That is literally pop culture, right? That's the problem right here. That's it, that's it. It's pop. That's what gets shared and... It's funny, they think they're not subject to Coca-Cola, but they're essentially consumers. 
everyone I'm a consumer but don't buy it just because that's all I'm trying to say I'm not trying we have an own wine actually I make wine now I don't but we have a wine it's called Vignetti Tardis shout out to Jack I guess my living the dream partner who lives in Paris and shout out to Bruno who makes the wine and to our other four wine our, our other four restaurant partners but making wine is not fun and having a label is important <laughs> so Jackson's mum makes the label and the label looks beautiful I'm not saying the label is not important just don't buy horrible labels please and then say the wine is good because the label is trendy right works with some wines you can have a phallus symbol on a, on a bottle like a Tibibo from Beanie and the bottle looks amazing and then the wine is also amazing now that's cool that's something that's gone well that's your, you should only name the things that have gone well I'm not going to name any of the others that I don't like right but that's the people who listen to this and who know they're currently buying those wines they're going to think about it which I hope right but that answers your question about the fair yeah. wine list it should yeah. be yeah. Yeah. sustainably sourced where we can i.e. via Uncharted Rupert's business and then um, the rest that is not <laughs> sustainably sourced because we buy it from another supplier where I'm not a shareholder with <laughs> or where it's not in keg I forgot to say all these wines with Rupert are on keg yeah. meaning we're shipping in 20 litre key kegs as opposed to bottle and glass and those kegs get recycled which is good really really good and the wine is fresher there's no wastage which means mean, so more sustainable for Marcus and I so done no, no brainer but yeah all the other wines the end of a shift upstairs you shouldn't really have anything in the bins, right? Exactly, nothing in the bins. Whereas here, we have educated staff, but no matter how educated they are, sometimes they're a bit too tired and they don't look at the fridge at the end of the night and they don't pump a wine or they, they just don't think, mm-hmm. you know. And so you end up throwing away stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a kitchen, it's the way it is, but with wine, it's not needed. It's crazy, like a, a traditional restaurant bar or restaurant, like you're going through like a busy night here for like four or five bags of rubbish. Minimum. Yeah, it's crazy. Four, five, so yeah. Away from a service in the bar without, like, even one bag is pretty. That's the goal: is to reduce the rubbish. So empty glass bottles, no matter whether they get recycled, is not the way forward, right? Glass that's worst case, right? Let's buy a New Zealand wine that's bottled in Italian or French glass with a cork from Portugal and shipped across the fucking planet. Give me a reason why to buy it. Why should I? Why should I give that fuck? According to Sarah Knight. It actually annoys me. True wow. yeah, story. Line in the sand. Line in the sand. Line in the sand. Thanks once again to Michael for coming back on. We've got a bonus episode tomorrow in which Michael is joined by business partner Marcis Delchanis and the conversation broadens out. See you next time.